Welcome to the Semper Reformatic Podcast, spreading the word and contending for the faith. All around us in the rest of the country, and believe me, there's not too many churches meeting together this evening. But people are talking about the baby in the manger, even though in modern society, a lot of the meaning of the incarnation of Christ is totally lost in the swamp of commercialism. The story of the birth of the Lord Jesus, God's only begotten son at Bethlehem, it has been retold over and over again. Over the past couple of weeks in churches and schools, in nativity plays, and it has been depicted on cards and advent calendars and sung about in carol services and even on radio programs. It's universally popular, isn't it? After all, everybody likes the warmth and the glow and the good feeling that comes from a newborn baby, don't they? If you were like me and you were alive back in the 70s, you maybe have heard a song that was written or sung at least by Johnny Mathis, who wrote about the birth of a baby and became a popular commercial song around this time of the year. And it has words like a ray of hope flickers in the sky, a tiny star lights up way up high, all across the land dawns a brand new morn, this comes to pass when a child is born, a silent wish seals the seven seas, the wind of change whispering the the trees, well if you're not starting to feel sick, you should be. It's all very poetic, all very squishy, all very heartwarming, all very emotional. You know, it's just the thing for a cold winter's day when you want to feel better about things. But in the midst of all of that emotion and commercialism, there's a solid biblical doctrine of the incarnation of Christ. And the passage that we have read together in Colossians, chapter 1 and verse 12 down to verse 14, talks about why God sent his Son, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, into this world. Why did he do it? Verse 12 tells us that he came to make you ready for heaven. Paul's writing to the church at Colossae here, and he's rejoicing in their conversion. He's heard news of them. He's heard that there is a hope laid up for them in heaven, 
that they heard the word of truth of the gospel which came unto them, and it had brought forth fruit in them. And he'd heard reports of their love for the Lord and for each other, and their fervor in the Lord. They knew the grace of God in truth. And they loved each other in the Holy Spirit. And Paul is praying for them that that continues to develop in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that they would walk worthy of the Lord and be faithful in every good work and increase in the knowledge of God and be strengthened with his might according to his glorious power, giving thanks unto the Father. Why? Because he has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in heaven. God in Christ has made us fit for heaven. The word made us meet there is, the the phrase made us meet rather, is very interesting. It wouldn't be a phrase in common usage today. Uh, Looking at a commentary and thinking about it, uh, the, the word that's used here for made us meet simply would be rendered in modern language as qualified. He has qualified us says the Amplified Bible, which we use as a commentary, he has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints. The idea here is that through our Saviour, the Lord Jesus, we have been made fit, made meet, to be part of the kingdom of heaven, to be made sufficient or competent, to be qualified Now bear in mind that we have no qualifications of our own. There's nothing within us that would be appropriate, would make us fit for our eternal heavenly destiny. It is in Christ that we share in his qualification. Only he is good enough to be in heaven. We are qualified in him. So how does he make us meet to be partakers? Well, because he has become a man like us. Because God was revealed in human flesh. Because he was incarnated as a man, a perfect man. A man just like every one of us, a physical body a physical human being born as a baby with baby's needs who grew up needing his mother, grew up and the difference of course is that he grew up the perfect man without Adam's sin. And he died as a man physically on the cross. It's one of the things that Paul is going to emphasize to the Colossians. If you were to read on through the book, some of them are doubting his humanity. And Paul is putting them absolutely right. It may have been that early Gnosticism was creeping into the early church when Paul was writing to Colossae. And he's writing to tell them that God was made manifest in the flesh, that he's a man. 
And as a man, he lived a perfect life. And as a man, he died a death on the cross, a physical death as a man. And he was buried and he rose again with a physical body, which the disciples were able to touch. And that physical body was ascended into heaven where we have a man in the glory who has gone before us who is seated in heavenly places and he makes us meet for heaven because we have a brother one of us who has gone to heaven and who is there waiting for us He is our head, and we are the body, and our head is in heaven, and we will one day be reunited with him there in a new heaven and a new earth, in a physical body. He has gone ahead of us. He has made us ready for heaven. So Paul writes in 1 Timothy 3 and 16, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the angels, believed on in the world, received up into glory. There you have, like bookends at either end of that statement, God manifest in the flesh, received up into glory. In that sense, we are members of God's kingdom. We are with him. We are with Christ, seated in heavenly places. As Paul says in Ephesians 2, verse 4 to 6, God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We have a brother in heaven. There's one of us, a man in heaven, a man in the glory. We are in him. Not only has he gone ahead of us, but he makes us meet for heaven because he makes us saints. Verse 12 Paul's talking about the inheritance of the saints in light. How does he make us saints? He makes us saints by the new birth, by giving us a new nature, by taking away our old nature and being born again through the Holy Spirit's work. Ephesians 2 and verse 4 to 5, God, who is rich in mercy... For his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. It is that spiritual new birth that Christ, through the work of the Holy Spirit, does in us, that equips us, makes us meet for heaven. So in conversion, the God of all creation has made us fit and made us ready for our heavenly home, even though we don't deserve it. He came to make you ready for heaven. 
Now look at the second part of that verse. He came to relocate you. I know I'm straining to get all the points in with memorable R's. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints. What inheritance? Well, he came to give you a home in heaven. Jesus talked about this himself in John 14 and verse 2. He said, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. There's a heavenly mansion waiting for you. And I don't know where, what kind of a home you live in down here, whether it's a, a fancy house or whether it's just a hovel or whether it's a farm or whether it's a, a palace or whether it's a cottage or whatever it is. You have a mansion in heaven. A few days ago, I on social media, I reposted a statement by Alistair Begg, a Scottish preacher who preaches in America. And he was quoted as saying that for the Christian, death is falling asleep in the arms of Jesus and waking up and finding that you're at home. Isn't that a good thought? When our Lord Jesus Christ came into this world, he came to make us ready to heaven, but he also came so that we would stake our claim there to grant us an entitlement to heavenly real estate, to that mansion in heaven. Now, how do you know that? How do you know that you're going to heaven? Well, you've already got the deeds of that mansion. You have an inheritance in heaven. You have a mansion waiting for us. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 1, Paul says, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. It's there. We know that if this body's gone, we have a home for all of eternity. Ephesians 1 and 11, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. And we have the title deeds right now. Ephesians 1 and 13, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, which is the gospel of your salvation, in which also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, the down payment, the first installment, the title deeds of the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Jesus came into this world he came to make you ready for heaven. And he came to relocate you, to give you a brand new home in glory. When this old body is finished and done with, 
There will be a new home in heaven waiting for us, and it will be a glorious home. It will be a mansion in eternity. Thirdly, Jesus came to rescue you from your sin. Look at verse 13. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. Jesus came to rescue you from your sins. And he came right where you are. He came right to your point of need. A few years ago, I called with an elderly woman with a gift from the church. And she lived in a house that had several steps up to the door. I think Jeanette was with me as well. We we went up to the door and we were in the house for a moment or two and we handed over the gift and we came out and went down the steps and she insisted on coming down with us. But she only got to the stop top of the steps when for some reason she tripped and fell. And she fell heavily, head first, down the steps. And she landed on a, on a concrete driveway. And somehow she rolled when she fell. She rolled over and she actually went underneath a parked car that was sitting and she was trapped under the car. And she was obviously seriously injured. She seemed to have broken her arm. It was twisted in a really unnatural angle. And we said, we, we don't move her. We would call the ambulance. We dialed 999. The house was in East Belfast and the ambulance was dispatched from Dundonald. And the lady was in great pain. But it was only, I think I was still on the phone talking to the dispatcher when I heard the sound of the siren way in the distance. And it got closer and closer and closer and louder and louder and louder until it was turning up into the street and you could see the look of relief on the woman's face. Rescue was on its way. Now you see an ambulance driver or a paramedic, they won't rescue someone in a life-threatening situation just by sitting in an office. Firefighters don't work from home. They have to go to the place of need. Our God seeing our plight in his great love sent his son to our rescue. He came to where we are. He came into this sin-cursed world to our point of need. He became man for us. And look what it tells us here. He rescued us. He delivered us from the power of darkness. How deep was that darkness? Look back on your unconverted days just for a moment or two. Think how the Lord has delivered you. Think what he's done for you. Think of the sin that your life was steeped in. Think of where you might have been today had not the Lord come to where you are and lifted you out of your sin and your misery and your distress and be thankful unto God today that Jesus came. 
breaks the bondage of sin. That power of darkness, that awful grip that sin has upon the life of a believer that keeps us in bondage and darkness and night. And Jesus came and he set the captives free. came to where we are and he hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. He didn't just leave us lying there. That day that we went to that woman's house, we couldn't have moved her. It would have been dangerous to have dragged her out from under the car. What more harm would we have done? The ambulance men came and they put her carefully onto a stretcher and they manoeuvred her very slowly and they got her straightened out and they took her, put her in the ambulance and they took her to accident and emergency where she was able to be looked after. They took her from her place where she was to a place of safety. And that's just what Christ did for us. Not only did he rescue us, but he has transferred us to his kingdom. He brought us from darkness into light, from the kingdom of the world to the kingdom of our God. And we have the privilege of being his saints in the kingdom of his dear son. And lastly, he came to redeem us. Verse 14. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Well, there's two aspects to that verse, isn't there? I often like to talk about how redemption is not just accomplished, but it is applied accomplished at the cross and applied through the work of the Holy Spirit. So Paul says here, in whom we have redemption through his blood. The wonderful high Paul brings us to the cross all the time. It's what we preach about. We preach Christ and him crucified. Nothing else he brought. He bought us with his own blood. That's what redemption means. He paid the price in his own blood to buy us back. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 18. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. I am not my own. You are not your own. You belong to Jesus. He brought you back from the slave market of sin and it was at a great cost. The cost of his precious shed blood Redemption accomplished for us at the cross, and yet redemption applied, and the forgiveness of sins. Here's what it does for us. 
when he purchased our redemption. All of our sins, every one of them, were covered and blotted out by that shed blood. We call that expiation. How Christ's death affects the sinner. All of our sins are forgiven. In Christ, at the cross, and all that God asks from us in return for that salvation, that redemption, that forgiveness, is that we simply trust him. That we trust the Lord. He loves us that much, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some might even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He forgives us. So what have we learned? We've learned that the incarnation of Christ in the purposes of Almighty God was to make us ready for heaven in two ways. By being our forerunner, by taking our humanity, redeemed humanity, into glory. And by making us saints in Christ. And we've learned that he came to relocate us, to take us from this world where we are perishing into a mansion in glory, where we will have an inheritance that will never, ever perish. And we've learned that he came to rescue us because we couldn't rescue ourselves and that he came to redeem us with his own precious blood at great cost so that we could be forgiven. That's why God became flesh. That's why Paul was able to write in 1 Timothy 3 and 16, great is the mystery of godliness. God manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Let's remember that the birth of the incarnation of Christ is more than a heartwarming winter tale, more than just something to cheer us up in the gloom of December. It is God's rescue mission for fallen human beings to make us his purchased possession forever and ever. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please help to make it better known by opening the podcast app on your phone or mobile device. Then, search for The Semper Reformata Podcast. 
subscribe, and give it a 5-star rating. See you next time.